Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business Aspirin. This is Clint Janelle, and I've got on with me today John Vogt with uh, Mammoth Restoration. John, you are based in several locations, right? Let's talk a little bit about people listen. You're in Pennsylvania, or you're in the, yeah, you're in the Pennsylvania area? Yeah, correct. So personally, I live in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, and then we have offices actually throughout the state and into New Jersey and in Ohio right now. Right. And that's not all you service. Now, we uh, we actually have a, a national catastrophe team and we will travel the country and then also a large loss division that will pretty much go anywhere, ensuring that we're doing the right thing for the customer. And it makes sense to mobilize. As many people know, it is very costly to mobilize rigs and manpower to get a job set up. So we want to make sure that it works for both the stakeholder and for Mammoth. Sure. So you guys are a full service restoration company. Let's tell right. everybody what that means. What What do you guys do? What does a restoration company do and handle? Yeah. So full service is from soup to nuts is the way that I like to put it. So whether it be the mitigation of a structure, meaning the, the cleanup, and we want to minimize the damage. So we're going to mitigate that and to repair and then also contents. And there's things uh, along the lines of electronics and other specialty items such as artwork. And we've aligned ourselves with a lot of good contractors around the country. So everybody has their own set of expertise. They're the subject matter experts. And personally, our strength would be the large scale mitigation as well as construction component of of the business. Okay. So you guys go in post catastrophe of some kind man-made, God-made, whatever happens, uh, and you clean up, like you clean up the water damage and you make things right and you put it back together and hand them back a structure um, as a restoration company. That's what you guys do. Background behind you here, there are a lot of what seem to be hoses or cables or something going on back there. What's what's going on behind us here in this background? Sure. So if you focus in on the two large tubes that are going inside of the structure, that's actually um, our one of our desiccants. And this desiccant dehumidification, that's actually a trailer mounted unit that is outside run by generators. Uh, and then you also see the cables on the ground and the ramps. That's distribution where we're able to repower up the existing panels in order to control the environment of the building. So as far as the generators go, being able to source the power, being able to get the distribution cables, those are the things that we constantly are trying to work on and build national partnerships with. So when we do mobilize, we're able to get this stuff immediately. Now, we do own a lot of equipment. However, any of the power and the distribution like this, we leave this up to the guys, the gals, and the companies that we work with so they can set that up while we're focusing on the actual structural drying or demolition. Sure. Man, so this one, like... I know this space, everybody. So this is something that I know what's going on behind him right now. But that is a spectacular looking power distribution setup. That's the black 
uh, cables on the ground that are running under the ramps. Uh, and what he's saying is that this building suffered a significant enough damage that the building doesn't have power or maybe the community doesn't have power. So there's no power to the area. Could be in a hurricane, could be in a freeze loss. Any number of things can happen. And in this case, they've got generations of generators sitting outside powering all these cables running to this building. So they redistribute power to the building, which is an amazing process. Um, and talk about like the, the difficulty of a lot of this too, John, is imperative for people to understand because they don't know how hard what you're doing is really. So talk about it a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, anytime you get into this environment, everybody thinks that something can be done in two days. Now, this uh, specific project happened to be, I think, 50, 50 stories completely without power. Um, the generator setups that we had were absolutely massive. So when an individual hears generator, they might think about something that they can purchase at Home Depot or Lowe's. Uh, but then when we show up with items that are actually pulled by tractor trailers and dropped, and we're trying to actually logistically figure out where we are going to place these. So there's still a flow of traffic for dumpsters, for the residents to move in and out of. It's a little bit hard to explain up front. Uh, so it's not that generator from Home Depot or, Holo or Lowe's, right? So we have yeah. photos to showcase what we're doing. Uh, we've got critical paths that we will display of previous jobs that we've done in the you know way back when and maybe even a job or two ago and then we start breaking that down by saying here's an example of what is going to take place maybe overwhelming i get it however you're going to get the updates that you need and we're going to develop the path that we need to follow to get your building back in action sooner than later yeah excellent so how did you get started in the restoration in this industry <laughs> Funny question. Great question. Grew up in central New York, went to school in York, Pennsylvania, graduated with my bachelor's, took a sales job for two years. A gentleman that did not like his job put me in contact with a recruiter. He took my old job and uh, the rest has been history. So since 2003, I've been in restoration. And when I first started out, uh, we didn't have the great old GPS, so we were taking maps.com and we were yeah, highlighting, yeah. highlighting <laughs> the areas and the routes that we were going to go. And we also didn't have the luxury of a sales team. You know, we were the sales team. We were the, the estimators, the project managers, because we didn't have a choice as we were growing the business. So when we had our first $300,000 month. We thought we were just unbelievable, right? Like, holy cow, we, you know, 300. Uh, and then we built the business to a place where you needed to have, you know, million to $2 million months to quote unquote, feed the beast and keep the operation running as we, you know, gained market share, increased our team member base. That's just kind of how we how we did it. So incremental growth, I will tell you that controlled growth was important. We got into uh, a little bit of a, a sticky situation, I would say, when that explosive growth started to happen and the cash outlay was much more than what was coming in at the time. And in our business and in, in the restoration industry, we front load a lot of the cost. 
And we want to make sure now more than ever with the larger projects that we're getting those draws, we're getting those advances. So we're getting some money and collecting up front or at least within the first 30 days. So the encouragement there is, you know, you're going to be the individual that's out there, maybe sucking the water, maybe doing the marketing, the whole shooting match. But then once you start to grow, you've got that team behind you, but make sure that the team knows exactly what they're doing. Absolutely. And I love that. That's a, that's a great negative information right there, just in what you're saying. So when you talk about the restoration space and a lot of people don't know, and, and this happens in, in a lot of businesses, but you guys go out and do these massive jobs. And in this particular one that we're looking at behind you, there's a several hundred thousand dollar a day burn rate on a 50 story building, right? With the generation and the desiccants and the manpower and all of that. So you're burning a couple hundred thousand dollars a day on this project. And if you're not doing incremental billing and you're not billing them, you know, every two weeks on your, on your daily burn rate or something, then you're going to be in a hole really quickly on that project. And so a lot of guys need to be aware of, I've got to have some level of cushion or I've got to have some ability to go collect money quickly because this industry puts a lot of people out of business. I have uh, unfortunately seen it time and time again. And where people typically or companies typically get into trouble is they see the large project and their their eyes light up and they say, wow, uh, if I produce this job at X percent, uh, we're going to be doing great. The problem is if the financial backing is not there and you don't have you know the liquidity that you need, you might get into the situation where, yeah, that was an exciting project, but looking at where that company is now, and I don't ever want it to be anybody's company, but it does happen. It can put people out of business. And then the other thing too, that you have to think about is if you just take that one job, are you leaving behind all of the other customer relationships that you've had in the past? So then you really have to start juggling Okay, who am I going to service first? Now, in a catastrophe zone, uh, during during a hurricane, during a tornado, just maybe, you know, for the Northeast, we just recently had a freeze. Fortunately, we had what are called master service agreements with companies. So that was our priority list. Now, what happened to the individuals that were not, that we could not service? We made sure that we gave them a referral so they still knew that we were taking care of them. One of the most important things, you know, having the customer uh, be our advocate and have that customer tell other people, hey, Mammoth didn't get there, but guess what? Uh, they, they gave me a name. And a lot of times what ends up happening is that other name that's given out, they might be busy as well. And a lot of those leads come right back to Mammoth at the end of the day. Sure. And we've experienced that at some level too, right? Massive freezes in Texas where literally we got to the point where we could barely even answer the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, We had people that are just friends of our family, my wife. We were so inundated that we had the phones rolled over to people that are friends of ours just to answer the phone so they'd know, hey, text information to this number so we could get them on a list, at least hopefully, uh, and kind of navigate that. So I fully understand what you're saying. You said something pretty early in that answer, though, that triggered a thought for me. Um, which you're talking about, hey, running into $300,000 and putting yourself in a pinch. Do you now have, and I know you guys are backed pretty well, right? You've got the financial capability to do a lot. But if you were in that same role as before, or in a situation where you were with a different company or trying to start another company, 
have you created or do you have a rule of thumb or some way to gauge and say, this job is more than it's great, great opportunity, great customer. We love these guys. It's awesome. But it's more than we have the capacity to be able to handle because we can't, we can't float. Yeah. All right. So that's when building a great referral network comes into play and you want to align yourselves with other contractors of similar values to say, hey, I've got this customer. We are at capacity right now. We don't have the full capability, but why don't we provide a project manager? So there's still the individual from you know the referring company there and then work with your team to help give that customer the customer experience that they need. Uh, and that does a couple different things. It allows you as the $300,000 loss to learn something and then also build upon other contractors in the same market space. I think one thing that I'd really like to see people open up to is the opportunity and the understanding that there may be a better way of doing things. And it doesn't mean that you all have to live inside of your own box. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And if you have industry colleagues, it will only help not only your business grow, but the other business grow and then really bring additional awareness to the restoration space, which is a very, very unique challenging space that many people don't even know exist. So we want to also be recruiting during that time. So maybe we add new team members during that $300,000 job without actually having to finance the entire project and collecting a referral fee at the end of the day. Sure. So let's talk about those relationships and those groups. Like talk about, there's one specifically you and I are both a part of. Um, Let's talk about, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about core elite and let's talk about the core group as a whole. So I was skeptical, believe it or not, at first to even join core. Uh, reason being the networks that are in the industry now, uh, some of the TPAs, I feel as though they are dictating what we do as contractors. And I don't personally favor that. But once I got in tune with core and then talked to like-minded individuals like yourself and some of the other guys that I have been working with, sorry, companies that I've been working with. I said to myself, man, there's really, really something here because we might have a job in Texas, right? We might have a master service agreement with a company, but we just can't get to Texas. Maybe they have 50 buildings in uh, Virginia that we can get to very easily, but Texas is that outlier and we want to help the customers. So then we can refer you as a company. And that's really the benefit of core. I also like the fact that uh, their strength in numbers and buying power is really great on uh, equipment and consumables. There's a, a lot of perks that go along with it. And I am kind of relating core to the non-TPA. Okay, they're not a TPA, uh, but it's really, as as cheesy as this sounds, a community of contractors that can share all of their experiences. And I'm telling you, Clint, you and I could probably have multiple dinners to share our experiences, right? Of of every single thing that's gone wrong and everything single thing that uh, we can get better at. You know, the beautiful thing I like about CORE, same in line with you, right? Is there are a lot of smart people in that group (laughs) that have done really great things. 
And I love being able to be a part of that because I can be the dumbest person in the room and, and gain information just by sitting there and listening to different conversations and learning different ways to address things and learning about different important cycle times and things like that, that, that are concerns to one company and may not be a concern to us yet, but we learn as we grow and develop. And it's, it's a great opportunity to do that. On top of that, you know, Dallas has got a ton of commercial companies located here that have businesses everywhere. And prior to really being in core, I didn't have the opportunity to sell any of that because I didn't have a chance to go, okay, well, I can service you nationally. Now I can because of guys like you, guys like Intercom, guys like Titan in Florida, you know, yep. Jackie at Ideal. Like there's lots of opportunities. So uh, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, know that, you know, John and I are both of our companies, our restoration companies are a part of uh, a group called Core that is this networking thing that he's talking about, uh, where he's talking about having relationships and opportunities to lean on others uh, as a key factor for his business and growth, especially as they're going to do large loss. Now, would you recommend uh, large loss for other companies? Or when? When would you recommend large loss for other companies? It's a dynamic question. So I personally love large loss. And I want to take you back in time. I'll take you back to 2012. I really realized that there started to become this, this shift in the industry with the advent of additional TPAs and the the rules and regulations just kind of started cracking down. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. I just said to myself, we're not we're not doing that. So in 2012, completely shifted the business development and marketing strategy to gain more and more traction in that commercial space. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend it, but make sure that you have the capital in order to do it. Uh, when you are renting equipment, they're, they're big bills and there's payment terms that go along with that. And when you are purchasing the equipment, the same thing applies. Now, let me give you an example of the difference between the purchase and the uh, the rental. For the purchase, you need that additional space. So then you have to start thinking, hmm, there's going to be additional cost in overhead to store this stuff, to maintain this stuff, whereas maybe the rental, uh, you don't have to do as much of that. So I, we have a lot of owned equipment, uh, but we also at times call upon some of our trusted partners to rent some equipment. And believe it or not, Clint, as you were saying, being a, you know, a partner in core, we've got the ability to even uh, share equipment amongst the entire group. So I would say be smart, be sound, be able to document very, very well, because we're only as good as what we put down on paper and make sure it's reasonable, make sure it's customary, and you will get more work out of it. But do not, do not uh, overcommit. It'll ruin your brand. What level of overhead or what, you know, how many months of overhead or how, what percentage of a project you're going to take on do you think they need to have in the bank in order to jump into something? So, okay, if you, so secure a million dollar loss, how much of that do you need to have um, along with your overhead to, to cover that before you're going to get paid on part of that, including draw schedules? All right. So one thing that that we do as an organization is we look at backlog and it is a key metric that we follow uh, because we also have the health of the overall enterprise to make sure that sure. we you know have in mind. Our rule of thumb is two and a half months 
of backlog and and that number in order to justify taking that taking that job right now that job is ultimately going to add to your backlog but you need to make sure that you've got the funding for that so sure. you know if you're taking that million dollar job you better have already two and a half months and then some way somehow liquidity to produce that job based on the margin that your company requires but at the same time something I think you probably would align with, but I haven't actually had you say yet because you're talking about draw schedules. Don't be afraid to ask for money in the process. Yep. That's a, a day one thing for me. My, I am all but conditioned to talk about that on day one. Right. Uh, on day one, you will get our contract. It will have our time and material rates. It will have all of our terms and conditions. And then it will have an advance request or a draw request based on approximate value of project. Now, you can go into a project and know that it's two million bucks versus something that's going to be $300,000. If you're going into that $2 million project, don't hesitate to ask for three to $500,000 on day one. Uh, and at least it gets their mind moving in such a direction that they're going to say, oh, shoot, let's talk to the CFO. Hey, by the way, uh, why don't you give me that information so I can let you work with the balance of the mammoth team on the production side, and then I'll work with the CFO to start collecting that money. So you also have to make sure that your designated roles in your organization are set up to be productive on the job, so to produce it on time, on budget, and then on the flip side of it, a job's only good if you get paid. Yeah. Absolutely, right? Always, like we could do a spectacular, really great job and never make money off of it because they don't pay it. Mm -hmm. Quick way to bury a company. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Okay, so what is something that you know now that you wish you'd have known when you started? I think it's just gonna go back to what we just talked about, and that is payment and asking in a tasteful way so you're not becoming over over the top overbearing because remember a lot of these companies have had that emergency or that catastrophe i'll tell you the residential space it's much more delicate but what i've learned in the commercial space if you're asking for the right people they are going to understand that you need money to move forward just because they would, well, they would need money their end if they were selling a product or losing money for not being operable. So then I want to add to this one last thing, just jog my memory. Um, you want to talk about business op, uh, interruption if possible, because you're going to be able to say, listen, if we finish this project timely, your business should only be down for X amount of time. And once you get those juices flowing with the end user, the stakeholders, they're going to say, okay, they've got our best interest at hand. Let's get them some money. Yeah. So talk about the things that matter to them. And in yeah. that case, and on the commercial side and business interruption, it's, hey, you're going to be down the least amount of time. If we do this, we need to move forward with money, keep money flowing so I can keep you open or get you back open sooner. That's great. That's great advice. And I love hearing that. Um, what is a mistake that you have made that's hard to fix or I, was I hard, was hard to fix? I, I think for me, there's, I could, I could come up with a list, right? There's plenty that I've messed up. Yeah. Of course we all learn from our mistakes. The one mistake that I have made 
and I really have to keep my myself in check is allowing others to focus on what they are good at during a project uh, and not get my hands into everything because I'm not going to be able to effectively communicate with all of the individuals on the job. Okay. So now, well, what I mean by that is I don't need to be production based if I'm working with a finance team and the other way around too. Maybe I'm doing the production side of it and somebody else is taking care of the the financial component and maybe some of the sourcing. So just making sure that you understand that it's a team approach and that you don't have to have your hands in everything. That used to burn me, I'll call it back in the day. And I have some pretty deep battle scars because it has created delays in projects. And then those delays in projects reflect on your own brand, meaning John Votes, uh, as well as your companies. And people talk and you want them to talk in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. And and so hearing that, it's key to make sure you have the right people in the right place, right? Um, And I think that's important because then you can lean on them and trust them to do what they're supposed to be doing, right? And when you can trust them to do what they're doing, then you have a lot more confidence and the projects go better and everything's smoother uh, all, all along that path. What are some business pains that you guys have experienced recently? And and then how did you how did you solve them or get past them? Or what are you doing to get past them now? So that's a great question as we're scaling to add additional locations to Mammoth. And one of the things that has been a struggle or a pain point is sometimes there's a start and a stop. And what I mean by that is we're starting down a path with something really, really great. Uh, And then the individual that was going down that path, and maybe I can can really use in our organization right now, uh, marketing as an example. We have a phenomenal, talented individual, but he's also very, very heavy on the workflow side of our business, being able to make sure that uh, systems and process are put in, in place and helping develop this then you get kind of pulled back. So there's that setback uh, and it and it's the hurry up and wait. So now you know, we're developing, um, not developing, but introducing uh, EOS and traction to our business. And that I think is going to be a game changer for us. And it's going to help keep our management team aligned and rowing in the same direction and allowing us to, focus in on what we are all really, really good at. And then yeah. delegating delegating to others and taking things off of individuals' plates that just don't need them. So eliminate sure. some of the noise to grow. Sure, sure. So yeah, like man, I'm assuming you're talking about Bennett, right? Yep. Um, and, and he's super smart, super talented individual. But yeah, he's got, he's trying to create marketing and then he's trying to go, okay, how's the workflow supposed to work? Correct. Uh, we've had some conversations about that in, in and around, you know, job docs specifically and, and some of that stuff. And um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I need to follow up with them on a couple of things. But uh, EOS is great, man. And you're going to find, you know, there's there's a bunch of us that are implementing it. Like we've got it going at some level, but like we still need to be working through it. Uh, I know Dave Grove at Built is working through it. And I had a conversation with him the other day and a lot of conversation about that as well and about the right people in the right seats and, you know, making sure you have people where they need to be, which leads to our previous statement. <laughs> so he, I mean, it's really great. I think you're really going to love that. And the time that it's going to take to do it uh, is going to be well worth it to make that uh, work. What's the best decision you've made in business? 
Ooh, the best decision I have made would be allowing others the opportunity to grow, to enable me to become less important. And I think everybody should want to duplicate or triplicate themselves because then life starts to get a little bit easier. This this is not a nine to five business. This is 24 seven. And after celebrating 20 years in the industry now, a uh, little gray in my in, in my beard here. Uh, Nothing yeah. wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, but really, the fact of the matter is, if you're helping individuals grow, uh, you're also learning from them and you're just becoming more dynamic. And, you know, then you can really hone in on, you know, enjoyment outside of just having to take the 3 a.m. call in the morning because you have other people that can help you out do that. Yeah, sure. So I want to be mindful of your time. We're at 9.32 right now. So we've been going for about 30 minutes. Last thing, just kind of open the floor. Any tips, tricks, anything you want to share with someone that's trying to open one, thinking about opening one, trying to grow one, uh, any kind of business. Uh, Specifically, you're going to have knowledge and restoration, but anything that you just want to go, hey, we didn't talk about this, but I think this might be important. Yep. There's a few different things. One, don't ever hesitate to ask the question. The industry is ever evolving and changing, and you're going to need to ask questions to stay up to date on the technology and the different equipment. And if I had to say the one thing that I believe is critical, it's teamwork and make sure you have fun while doing this. This industry can, can beat you up. And if you allow it, you, you're going to fail. So have some fun while you're doing it and celebrate the wins. Anybody in any anything, any profession that you're in, you can always look for the things that aren't going well. Look for the things that are going right. And it's going to make your day go a heck of a lot better. And those little things that are wrong, you're going to notice they're probably smaller than you're making them out to be. Man, that's great. That's great information. Uh, And I appreciate you offering that. So uh, everybody, this has been John with Mammoth Restoration uh, with us today, talking about some pain points and how to resolve some of them. And John, I'm really grateful to have you with us. Yeah, looking uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. I'm sure our uh, paths are going to cross and some of the other core members as well. Yeah, they will for sure. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.